Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude and over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hello, my friends. I've got a interesting conversation for you lined up today. It's a um, little different and I know you're going to love it or you're going to hate it, but either way, it's happening. <laughs> Danielle Della Valley is um, is the person that I chatted with for today's episode. Danielle is a certified functional nutrition therapy practitioner. She is the founder and the CEO of Your Wellness Academy. She is launching her new program, the Intuitive Body Coach Certification, which we'll talk about. She's also the author of a book, Happy Weight. She's a public speaker. She's kind of like been all over the place in terms of um, the ancestral health world. She she's she's been a lot of places in a lot of spaces and has amassed this very interesting um, knowledge base based on all of her experiences. And you'll definitely hear a lot of that. And in fact, that's kind of why I wanted to bring her on the show. Her and I, as we'll talk about, we we connected through Instagram and she quickly became one of my really favorite people. And I just knew that our conversation would take some interesting turns because she is she's not part of the the wellness echo chamber. Let's just say that. I think there's a lot of talking heads in the wellness space that sort of say the same thing over and over and over again. And there's nothing wrong with that, but Danielle sort of exists on the periphery and she's talking about the interesting concepts that not everybody is willing to talk about. And that's why I really appreciate her spin on things because it's uh, it's a, it's a unique perspective. So, so I think you'll, you'll enjoy the conversation and it's kind of just like, Two two gals talking about their beliefs and their experiences in the wellness space. So, um, the 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 one thing I wanted to kind of hone in on was based on a lot of questions that I get in regards to boundaries and confidence. And um, I think Danielle personifies this concept really well. And I wanted to ask her. You're like, how did you get here? You know, <laughs> like, how did you get here? So I hope you enjoy the conversation. I got to shout out the show sponsors. Um, you know, I am super committed to continuing to show up every single week and, you know, dedicate m- my time to bringing thought leaders into the space and bringing well-organized thought out information into your ears every single week. But in order to do that, I need help and get by with a little help from my friends. Who are my sponsors? And I didn't just arbitrarily pick sponsors. I was really responding to a need. So you ask me the questions and I try to find the solution. And Organifi is one of our sponsors. They create lots of nutrient-dense powders. So if you're somebody who's like, I know I need more variety in my diet. I know I need to eat more fruits and veg. I know I have to do all of these things and I'm still struggling to do it. I think Organifi powders are your bag because you can get exposure to all of these things that I talk about all of the time, like prebiotic fibers and polyphenols and variety. And you can do it just mixing it with your water. This is especially good for the person who's like underhydrated, that doesn't love to drink water, that just has a hard time getting enough water into their pie hole. These powders are a way to get it in. So head over to Organifi.com forward slash funk. So it's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash funk. You will save 20% off of all of your orders. 
with that. 20% off is pretty bitchin' discount. So check them out. And then we also have to thank BioCult, who makes the probiotic that I'm always talking about. I think it's a very, you know, I, I use different probiotic strains in my private practice, and they ain't cheap. I will tell you that the ones that I use clinically for very specific reasons are are not inexpensive. So I was looking for one that I could recommend to most people that came at a very uh, respectable cost. And BioCult Boosted is my probiotic of choice. If somebody's like, "Yo, what you know, what probi- probiotic should I be on?" This is the one that I recommend. So you can head to their website. I'll link it up in the show notes, and you can use code Funk fifteen to save fifteen percent off your order. And without much further ado, here's Danielle. Okay, we're recording. Yay. Yay. I'm so excited to have you here. I've been looking forward to this all week. I love that we always record together on Fridays because it's like the icing on the cake of a long week. So Danielle, you have to give us a little bit of a background first before we tuck into conversation because we have a lot to say. Tell us about yourself professionally. Like, what are you doing and how did you get here? Yeah, absolutely. I know a lot of people ask those questions because they go on to my socials and they're like, what is it that you do? How did you get here? So I like that question. Um, So it all started in food and beverage. I worked in food and beverage from age 15, grew up in a foodie restaurant owning family. And so it was all about very European style of food. We really loved food for, for its like original form. And then it kind of cascaded into I'm in my mid to late 20s and I'm like, what am I doing with my life? And so then I became a functional nutritional therapy practitioner. And I was like, oh, this is exciting. I started to feel better. I started healing a lot of things. I was like, oh my gosh, this is really cool. Then I went into clinic work, did ketogenic, medical ketogenic weight loss for two years, did private practice for several years after that because then I realized I didn't like weight loss um, the way that it is kind of in the clinical setting. So that's when Happy Weight was born, my book. Started talking a lot about body autonomy and positivity is now kind of morphed into body liberation. And then, you know, private practice lasted for a few more years, got back into education, did a lot of public speaking. And now I run my own online education tech company. So that's where I'm at. (laughs) No no big deal. No big deal. (laughs) Um, The real reason that I wanted to, you know, we met via Instagram Mm -hmm. and we've had some real life conversations um, and I just feel like we can talk for so long and we, we have a lot, we share a lot of viewpoints and beliefs. And so I just thought it would make for a really great conversation, but I want to throw it back to this episode that I did. It was uh, July of this past summer, maybe August. And I was going through something and I'm like, I'm not really one to like process stuff with my audience. I'm more like, okay, I I went through this thing. Here's where I came out on the other end. Um, But for some reason, I'm like, I think I have to put words to what I'm going through because it feels really big and I can't be the only person feeling this way. Mm-hmm. And um, I called it uh, Good Girls Gone Bad, where I was like really fed up with being the good girl, performing, being what everybody expected of me, being the thing that everybody want wanted of me, living up to everybody else's expectations about me. And I was going through this, this period in time where I'm like, I realize that I cannot change me in order to make other people happy. And also, I don't want to. I don't want to do that anymore. And so I shouted you out on that episode as somebody who exemplified this thing that I was embodying or trying to embody um, as somebody who like doesn't give any fucks. And I know that that's not true. I know that you give a lot of fucks, right? But you, you kind of have the appearance of somebody who's very confident and who doesn't really care and is going to continuously show up as yourself. And I really want to hone in on how you got there. Um, And is it, is, is what we see, what we get, are you, do you really live your life that way? Is it more of a social media persona? Because I think so many people want to get there, women especially want to get there. And they're like, but how do I do it? How do I get the confidence to, to, to just show up as myself? Mm. Well, I think you and I are kindred in the way of like, I am actually a deeply sensitive and emotional person. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, 
it was like kind of like, you know, when you back someone into a corner, what are you going to get? Right. Is it fight or is it flight? And mine is fight like straight. Like that's even my trauma response is just kind of like be in the moment, be very engaged, try and really figure out exactly like how we're going to move through this. And I think it was really just wholeheartedly, honestly, like being an empath and people basically treating me like a doormat my entire life, always po- dominating over me, powering over me, making my decisions for me. I, I got to a point where it was just like me always taking care of other people and then feeling like people took me for granted. They weren't grateful for the things that I did and ultimately found myself sick and tired and full of compassion fatigue and just like so exhausted by being this gentle and kind person. And so then I started to look to other women, you know, in the past that have lived with what kindness but action, you know, kind of it looked like and embodied. And I was like, you know what? That's how I'm going to show up from now on. I'm, I'm really tired of people always putting me in this nice, sweet, innocent category when I have these very ferocious feelings about how I would like to see humanity interact and engage. And, you know, I think we've been going through a lot in the past four years here in America, of course, you know, being under the presidency, the last presidency that we were, it, it woke up a lot inside of a lot of people. And particularly, I think women, you know, we've seen a lot of women kind of wake up and shed, you know, the former of like what they thought they were supposed to be and how they're supposed to show up, you know, in terms of patriarchy and everything. And I just kind of more or less was like, what do I have to lose? Like, if I'm only going to live whatever you believe in this incarnation once, like, fuck it. Like, I am just going to be balls to the wall and I'm, I'm not going to care. Because if those people aren't looking out for me, who is, it's going to be me. And so I think that's the thing is like I still have my moments. I still process a lot. But the reality is, is that I'm going to show up and I'm going to show up hard because I think that so many people love to go about their life blind and comfortable and it doesn't do anything. And so if I burn bridges, whatever, at least people are going to learn something from that experience. I've said before, I'm like, I, sometimes I just want to exist like a twig in a stream. You know? yeah. <laughs> I always have to sh- choose the harder path. Yeah. I can't, I could, I just relate so much to what you just said, where I know that I'm a deeply kind, caring, compassionate person, but it got to a point where I'm like, I actually don't want to be the nice girl anymore. Mm. And I'm okay with people. That's going to ruffle feathers for sure. I'm okay with ruffling feathers. I know in my heart of hearts, my my heart is huge. And also I'm completely unwilling to bleed out to keep other people comfortable. Like the time for that has come and it has gone. And now we're in, we're in a new chapter. And I think there's a lot of people touching into that and feeling that right now and wanting that and still struggling with being the nice girl. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wonder, because my my trauma response is to fight. I mean, I I used to get in a lot of trouble for it, quite frankly, Uh, physically fighting. I have since worked on my anger management issues and have tempered that a little bit. But I wonder if it's part of it is comes more naturally to folks like us who who do kind of have that ability or that that defense mechanism to to lash out. Um, the other thing is that I think both of us are really strongly motivated by the things that piss us off. Like mm-hmm. I look around the world and I'm like, this upsets me and this makes me mad and this keeps me up at night. And so w- what I'm going to do, I'm not going to let that cripple me. I'm actually going to try to create change. I'm going to advocate for change. I'm going to live my life to affect change. Um, in the places I remember having a conversation with my husband one night a couple of years ago where I was like, I need you to understand that I will never stop fighting for the things in, that I believe. Like uh, that is, that's never going to be me. I'm never going to be the quiet person. I'm never going to be the complacent person. I'm never going to be the, the nice girl. So like you got to get on board. <laughs> like we're, we're at an impasse if you can't like wholeheartedly accept me for that because I knew that this is where I'm going to go. And I think people can really relate to that. And I think some people maybe can't 
but they want to. They're like, I want, I want that. How do I get over this self-imposed roadblock of being afraid to speak to the things that I want to speak to because I don't want to upset the apple cart. I don't want to rub people the wrong way. I, I obviously talk a lot about boundaries and what's what I would say the top question I get asked about boundaries, Danielle, is, but what about family? Like we see you set boundaries in public for your business, but what about family? And you and I had had a, a sort of a sidebar conversation privately about, about setting boundaries with your family. Because for me, I, I started in my business. And once I got more comfortable with that, then I felt more confident to set boundaries with my family. And for you, it was the exact opposite. Yeah. Well, and I think there's just like a lot of layers to this conversation too, because the thing is, is like, yes, I am a seemingly confident person, which I, I mean, I am like, I move through life with, with pretty much an ease, like little to no effort at this point, but it has nothing to do with confidence. I feel like we mistake like what confidence is for me. It's like a lack of allowing fear to stop me. I think that's where where it comes down to is like really recognizing that what stops people from doing these things, from setting boundaries with family, from setting boundaries in life, from being a kind advocate and fighting and showing up, you know, for yourself and for others. It's about being afraid and just doing it anyway and allowing that fear not to overtake you. Because that's the thing is we're afraid to lose our communities. We're afraid to lose security. We're afraid to be alone. And especially as a communal species, you know, homo sapiens are very communal, no matter how many walls we try to put in between us and other people, and no matter how much we try to say we're different from others, you know, in our core being, we're very, you know, we're primal. It's, it's just the way that we are. And so community is very important to us. And so I think it's always comes back to like what we're afraid of. And my experience of setting boundaries with my family was really hard. I had to leave. I had to leave. I had to move two states away. And, and mind you, I'd already lived in other countries before, but that was always kind of like still under the guise of having the same relationship. But this was a final like nail in the coffin. I'm moving away. I'm not coming back. If you have, you know, toxic like conversations with me, I'm going to hang up on you. Um, if you don't create a safe space for me, I'm not going to come visit. And it was just very much like it needed to be these very abrupt, like, I'm going to teach you how to treat me. And now it, it worked. My parents are very respectful. They, they respect my boundaries. They don't engage in conversations that are unhealthy. You know, it just really, it does work, but it's hard. I am really appreciative of you speaking to the fact that it is hard. Even, you know, if some people are observing us from a distance and being like, but it's, it looks easy for them. It's, it's not, it's super not. And I love this feeling the fear and doing, doing it anyway. That's kind of how I, like, I, I wake up afraid every single day that I'm going to piss somebody off or I'm going to make somebody hate me, especially in the midst of cancel culture. Oh, I have same. this, you know, it's like, it can all be taken away. My 10 years of showing up and helping people can all be taken away like that. I can be canceled and written off. And I'm hyper aware of that. But I believe in my mission so fucking much that I'm willing to override that fear. And I think we have to get to a place of understanding that it, it confidence is not the absence of fear. It's feeling the fear and doing it anyway because you believe so much in it. And I think that can be applied to setting boundaries, whether it's in business, in life, with family, with friends, wherever. But there is, if you're nervous to do that, there's nothing wrong with you. Being cast out of your community meant surefire death, you know, like that's a real thing that's baked into our DNA. We need to exist in, in community. There's a deep seated need for that. So it's not unusual to feel really nervous about doing it. But I also feel, and you know, tell me how you feel about this. I also feel like it's self-preservation, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, I want my nervous system to feel relaxed I want to be in a place where I'm satisfied with my life. I want to be seeking joy and happiness. And so it's, and it's so funny. I was just having a conversation about this with one of my clients this morning. And I was saying, hey, if you want to seek perpetual joy, it, treat it like a video game. Because at the end of every level, you're going to have to fight a villain. And what villain is that going to be in that moment? And it's going to be either boundaries or it's going to be about doing a hard thing. 
or that's what we have to do because life is a perpetual journey. And if we don't start looking at it like that, we're going to keep making the same generational mistakes. That is a, that's a very, very good analogy and a good way to think about it and frame it. You, um, you talk a lot about intuition. Um, and this is something that's come up a lot here on the podcast and beyond the podcast. Uh, I've let, I've sort of let my intuition drive me for, you know, at least a decade, probably like 15 years. And I think that there's people that are really stoked on this idea, but don't know how to actually access it. Like, how do you know it's time to set a boundary? How do you know what's right for you? How do you know you know, what you want, what you desire. I think that's kind of the first step before we start like, you know, slashing boundaries all over the place. And you, you, you talk a lot about intuition and innate wisdom. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that, especially for the listener who is, is hearing this and saying, I want to hone my intuition, but I just don't know how to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, so it's, it's a very multi-layered process. And it starts with awareness. We have to be very aware of our body. Most often, you know, everyone's going to have at some point in their life a trauma that they've endured. And it's going to be reinforced. You know, maybe they were invalidated after that trauma gaslit. Maybe somebody continued to like reinforce narratives. Then it generates a bias where we lose trust in ourselves, And most often we are disassociated from our body. And so when we're disassociated from our body, we're going to be disassociated from the mind, body, and intuitive connection, right? So there are three parts of the brain. We have our pineal gland, we have our amygdala, and we have our vagus nerve. And so these three very specific parts of the brain are how we actually cultivate that intuition. So we have to be actively rewiring, toning, and making sure that we are decalcifying. And so this is how we get into that, is we actually have to be aware that there's even a problem. And when we do that, it's through body signals. And most people know what their body signals are because they either feel like perpetually exhausted. If you're perpetually exhausted, there's something going on. If you have a mental health condition like depression or anxiety, there's something going on. And so we, this is the thing is like these things have become so common that we've normalized them. And it, it, I mean, you have to, like they're valid, they're true, this is your experience. But the reality is, is knowing that those are actually signs. Like your body is screaming at you and saying, you're not paying attention to me. You're not saying and doing the things you need to do to create these healthy parameters in your life to start, you know, setting boundaries and to start recognizing what you need. And it's because change is really hard. We don't want to quit our job or set a boundary in a relationship or maybe we need to reevaluate whether or not we should be in our partnership or, you know, thinking about maybe the place I live is toxic. Like when we start to get into intuition, we have to actually start to recognize big life changes. And so that's why most often we see in the spiritual community, especially people really trying to bypass all of it. They're like, I'm just going to go to yoga and generate the positive vibes. I'm just going to take this psychic, you know, clair, sentient, audience, voyant class to try and work on that. But the thing is, is we can't, we can't jump 10 steps ahead. We have to first build that awareness and start doing these really hard things. And, you know, when we come into intuition, when we're thinking about wellness, mental health, and spirituality, they're all integral and it's really difficult work. And for anyone to say that their spiritual awakening was easy or the mental health or wellness like journey was easy, then they're lying to you. They're not doing the real work. A hundred percent. I feel that through and through and through. And a big concept that we talk about in my hormone program, um, you know, we do the functional lab testing. We, I, I set people up on protocols. We talk about food. We talk about blood sugar re- regulation. We talk about sleep. All of these things are really, really important to help us evaluate and support overall hormone balance. But in my estimation, one of the biggest things we can do in that program is talk about getting radically honest with ourselves and doing a life audit. 
What's working for you? What's not working for you? This is really, really hard. It's why people want to ignore that piece and say, can you just give me my Dutch test results back, please? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What herbs should I be taking? And I'm like, there's no amount of Vitex in the world that is going to solve this problem for you. Right. And so it's, if, if there was one thing that I could get across to people, it, in terms of, from somebody that struggled with a lot of significant health issues, 13 years disordered eating, where I was binging and purging up to 13 times a day. Mm. Um, and then, you know, having a, a potentially life-threatening autoimmune illness, I'm telling people, like, I want to cry this out from the rooftops. Like, this is, when I say self-preservation, setting boundaries is the way that I saved my life. Audit changing things is the way that I saved my life. I look back, there was this uptick in people reaching out to me saying, are are you not, you're not even an RD? What are your qualifications? This was happening a couple of weeks ago. I've never told anybody I was an RD ever. Integrity and transparency are the bedrocks of my business. So I certainly wouldn't be lying out there. Um, And I've even talked about my education here on the show. It's all over my website. So it was people purposely coming at me, right? But that's, that is, that is, in just for anyone listening who's new here, I went to school to become a dietitian. Um, I graduated top of my class on the dean's list. I personally chose to opt out of a dietetic internship because I knew it wasn't right for me. Mm-hmm. And for somebody to come and say, you made the wrong choice because I don't like the choice you made, fuck off, fuck all the way off with that. Because in that year that I should have been doing a dietetic internship to appease other people, What happened was that I left a relationship and it was not a toxic relationship. It just wasn't the right relationship for me. I love him dearly. He's amazing. I'm friends with his wife. My family's still good friends with him. He's awesome. It just wasn't right for us. I recovered fully from 13 years disordered eating. I started my career and started the entire trajectory of this 10-year career. And so all of these things happened because I was able to say, I'm going to listen to my intuition instead of listening to what everybody else thinks I should do. Massive things happen. My life exploded, right? Like good things happen. And, but it was so hard while I was going through it. It was so challenging. And I think to normalize some of that challenge, like if it feels hard when you're going through it, it's not because you're doing it wrong. Like that's kind of part of the process. But if you can hang in there on the other side of it, it's pretty awesome. Well, it's like you said, we don't even normalize those behaviors. Like in ancient cultures, like wailing was, is a normalized behavior and a part of grief. Like expressing your emotions is supposed to be a part of the human experience. And we look at these kind of these downturns as like the most negative thing ever because we don't normalize them. We have to normalize all of the feelings and all of the emotions so that we can start to recognize that getting in touch with ourselves is about all and everything. It is the ever ending rainbow of, you know, how we cascade through this life. And it's just to your point, you know, how people just love to sterilize everything. They want a diagnosis and they want a protocol and they want a quick fix. And then they want to challenge your expertise and your education. And they want to just make all of these sidesteps instead of really sinking in and being like, how am I actually showing up for me? And it's like, yeah, continue. Continue to waste your breath. Continue to waste your time on trying to like, disprove or need more answers but the answer is always right in front of everybody's face everybody everyone even listening to this podcast knows exactly what to do but they're terrified okay so you just touched on something that i want to bring up uh, so your uh your instagram handle or in your bio, it used to say your personal trigger factory yeah. for, for a little while. And I was like, I would always giggle like Hee, every time I saw that because I freaking loved it. A big thing that I am, um, a big like theme that's in my head lately is that people can't trigger you, right? Like you can't, we're, we're very trigger happy right now. Everyone's throwing the T word around. I'm triggered, I'm triggered, I'm triggered. But like people actually can't trigger you. You can absolutely be triggered by somebody's presence, by their existence, by their actions, by their words. 
But that starts the journey of going in and asking yourself, why am I being triggered right now? Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about, because triggers is a big thing that you talk about, which I really love and I appreciate your your stance on all of it. Can you talk a little bit about triggers and this concept of triggers and then also what you mean by your personal trigger factory? Yeah, so we can start there. Um, I actually had uh, one of my clients explain to me recently is uh, human Moldavite. And for those of you who are not familiar with Moldavite, it is a extraterrestrial like meteorite that is found in Eastern Europe. And it actually, its energetic properties are meant to really thrust you through shadow work. And so someone had said that to me in human, like I am that in human form. And I was like, oh, you know, I feel very seen by that Um, because I I have this quality of being able to draw things out of people just by being in their presence. And it's like you said, I'm not triggering people. It's a matter of what reflection they need to see in themselves through me. And so when I'm talking about triggers, particularly in my space, I'm identifying the things that people are hiding and most often our triggers are core parts of our identity and our ego and really deep parts of our subconscious and so that's when we get into shadow work so a trigger is going to amplify something that we have either not addressed or have not reconciled or found balance in and so this is the thing it's like for instance, like, you know, I've, I've always been about, you know, body neutrality, body autonomy, body power. But what if all of a sudden I started talking about my body and losing weight? People would lose their fucking mind because they would be like, wait a second, you're not in that box that I put you in. And like, wait, you're talking about this thing now. And they're putting all of the responsibility on me to provide them with something. And so that's what it is. That's what I mean, I'm very grateful for cancel culture in a lot of different ways. But then in some ways, it's like how much personal responsibility are people taking in certain areas? Like the way people treated Lizzo about like what she's been doing the last year. Like it's nobody's business what she puts in on or around her body. That's no one's business. But people want to be triggered by it. They want to say that they, you know, she let them down, you know, all of this stuff. And it's like, wait a second. Like, she's not responsible for you in any way, shape, or form. And that's what triggers do. Triggers amplify something in us that we're not potentially willing to take personal responsibility for. And this is loosely based, right? Because some triggers are actually like, really bad. Like if somebody has had, you know, a significant like physical or violent trauma and they're in a space, you know, where they're triggered by it, that's an unsafe space for them. But a majority of the time when we're on Instagram, it's like, oh, I'm I'm triggered by her success or I'm triggered by her body or I'm triggered da 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 da. And it's like, well then, okay, don't follow. Block. Choose somebody else. Find a safer space. And people are choosing to leave these very trolly comments and engage in these uprisings instead of looking at the clear picture and saying, how am I involved in this? What is this bringing up for me? How can I look at this? And so when I'm working with my clients, I make them process triggers in real time. So that's a part of the neural rewiring process that I teach is about, you know, making sure that we're paying attention to exactly what triggered us, what it brings up for us, how we can rewire our brain in that exact moment, and how we can move forward. Personal responsibility is really hard. And it is much easier to project out. And I think that this is what we see on social media over and over and over again. It, you know, I know that when I set public boundaries... It triggers people. I know because they fucking slide into my DMs and they tell me all about it. <laughs> yeah. So I know. But we but we have to say, but like, what is it about a woman saying, I won't do this? I'm not available for this. What is it about that? Because me doing that is not inherently wrong or bad. Uh, so what is it about that that makes you so feel so unsettled in your body? Uh, and it's very interesting um, because this happened to me um, somebody reached out, I had set a boundary and she didn't like it. And she's like, you're very negative. I think you should probably take a break from social media. And I was like, isn't that a, an interesting line of 
thought because I have 12,000 people who follow me on social media. I enjoy social media. So because you are upset by something I said, you want to just steal the kickball, right? So you, you want to rob me of my pleasure of being on social media and also 12,000 other people who come here to learn something. And it's just a very, rather than saying, I'm going to take some personal responsibility to discover why I'm being triggered by this person's words. Instead, you just want to cancel the whole thing, crush the whole thing, have the whole thing come down. I've been on the other side of this too, as I'm sure you have, Danielle, where you were like scrolling along and you saw somebody that you followed and you're like, Ooh, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this right now. There's somebody that I've been following for years and throughout the whole COVID thing, um, some of what she says has really triggered me. And my knee-jerk reaction was to just unfollow. And I'm like, well, why don't I sit with this? Like, what is it about what she's saying that's bothering me so much? And sometimes I just have to kind of like move on from it. You know, I'm just like, oh, I don't, I don't care for what she's saying. Sometimes it makes me think, but it's all a personal journey. And I have the personal responsibility to choose whether I continue to expose myself to that by continuing to follow her, whether I choose to silence her, whether I choose to unfollow her, but none of it, none of it, underscore none of it is her responsibility. She owes me nothing, right? So for me to go out of my way to reach out to her and say, cancel the whole goddamn thing, shut it down. I know you have 80,000 followers, but I don't like what you're saying. So stop it is so bizarre. We've come so far from willingness or ability to take responsibility for our own emotions that we're like, I don't know, we've just gone, gone so far in the, in the opposite direction. And it's, it's a fascinating thing to witness. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as we're interacting more online, we're dividing ourselves more and more and more every single day. Even we're seeing even like in subcultures, you know, especially on TikTok, right? So like if you're on TikTok, your For You page becomes very succinct, very exact. And even sometimes in those subcultures that you find yourself on, you see a lot of conflict in there as well because we're just, we're dehumanizing people. And this is the thing is like, I'm no stranger to having in-person conflict and I usually handle it very well and I, I really enjoy difficult conversations. And um, the thing is, is that the people that I've been trolled by on the internet, they would never in, in real time, never. They wouldn't have the gall to do it. And so people are very entitled by these digital spaces and they're also very entitled to uphold patriarchy. You know, I think that's that's the part that's like really frustrating, potentially like harmful for a lot of people is we're upholding patriarchy, we're upholding white supremacy. There's just a lot of things happening online that they don't even realize that by them, you know, really going onto someone's page and saying like, I don't like what you're doing is actually really harmful because that woman's saying like, you're mean, you need to take a break. That's her saying like, you need to continue to be the nice little girl that I have of all women in my mind. And it's okay. So let's not talk about the fact that we have one of the highest like serial killers per capita in our country, mass shootings, you know, sexual violence against women. Like we just have this very emboldened male population and that really just want to always put women in this kind little box. And until we stop doing that, we're just always going to see women pit against each other. Oh, my God. it's It makes me feel so uncomfortable. I was just talking about it recently about how we love like a good smear campaign. We love to see a woman dragged. Like nothing gets us more excited as a society than like watching a woman's fall from grace. And I'm like, what is that sick fetish? And I will not hear me. I will not take part in that. I won't do it on my podcast. I won't do it on social media. And I sure shit won't do it in real life. If somebody does harm, holding them accountable is a necessary, is, you know, is necessary. So don't For get sure. it. Don't get it twisted. You know, like I, I'm, I'm all for accountability, but just dragging somebody because you don't like them is sick. And yet we all kind of participate in that. And one thing that you had said is like putting putting people in a box. I, I'm surprised by the amount of adult women who reach out to me to tell me that they're disappointed. Nothing <laughs> really... <laughs> I'm like, okay, mom. <laughs> right? I'm like, how am I disappointed? 
disappointing. It's such a bizarre thing. Or somebody's like, I'm really bummed out. I'm really disappointed. That tells me that you've created a story about what I should be, how I should show up you know, what box you've put me in in your head. And I've I've done something outside of that box. That's all that is. Like, you, manage your disappointment. Like, I don't need to process that for you. But I don't, you know, part of this whole thing, this whole like, I don't know, awakening over the past year is realizing that I don't want to be beholden to your expectations. You know, you've written this story, this narrative about who you want people to be. And if they deviate outside of that, then you're disappointed, you're upset. But like, that's something that you need to take responsibility for. You know, just like you said, when Lizzo decided to go on a juice cleanse, people lost their damn minds. Mm -hmm. Well, this is the thing is like narratives are toxic. Like we have to deconstruct them as much as possible. Speaking of, I want to let's let's pull this even more so specifically into the health and the wellness space. You had touched upon this word sterilization, and I would love to hear your viewpoints on how we've done this. As somebody, you know, you've worked in the the wellness space for quite a few years now. How are we sterilizing the health world? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, and, and we can talk about this in a little bit, but this is the reason why I'm launching my new certification program, because there are so many holes in the wellness industry in terms of topics that we touch on. And it's it's really funny because we're now all of a sudden starting to see some people talk about it. Like Mark Hyman has been posting about like the eight pillars of wellness, which that's actually been in like psychology for a really long time. Um, but the reality is, is that like the sterilization of wellness is a lot of the wellness influencers that we have that have a lot of clout, that have a lot of power, um, are biohackers. And I'm not saying like, damn the biohackers. I feel like all, all modalities are relevant, but we have to be careful in terms of the narrative that we are creating. And so when we think of like the biohacker space, we really are generating the idea of immortality. And so this is where sterilization comes in in wellness is because we start to make people believe that healing has an end point and that we are literally all capable of doing this thing of reversing the inevitable. And so I've been a death advocate for a really long time. Um, it's, it's just being like a death advocate has been a big part of my life. Uh, and so really getting deeper into death work and death doulaship and all of this and understanding that we are mortal and that this life does end and that there is no way out, even though that sounds really grim for those of you listening who haven't done death work yet, you're like, oh my God, this is really creepy. But the reality is, is that is our reality. And that is how we can generate more happiness and more excitement and more joy is starting to recognize that there is no protocol or supplement or test that is going to bring you to exaltation because the reality is is that this organic body will end someday and so we have to be very aware of every facet that goes into wellness and it is far more than just food and movement i mean that's some heavy stuff danielle can you tell Sorry. us sorry <laughs> Like, whoa. <laughs> Can you we definitely have not discussed death. And I, I will fully I will fully own up to the fact that I have not done death work and it makes me I'm a highly anxious person and it makes me very anxious. Even writing my the note death doula on my page, I'm like, Oh, this is making me feel anxious. But talk to us a little bit more about what a death doula is and Maybe give some resources if resources for somebody, and it might even be your own podcast, about places that this is discussed more in depth. Yeah. So this is the thing is like, because we have not normalized this in our culture, it's actually, so there, um, Caitlin Doughty, she's a phenomenal writer and she is a famous mortician. She writes this book or she wrote this book called From Here to Eternity. And it's uh, traveling the world in search of the good death. And in most cultures outside of the United States, death is a normalized part of their culture. 
So um, I grew up in a very Mexican town. So Dia de los Muertos was like a, a big deal where I grew up. And, um, you know, I grew up, my father always taking us to cemeteries and always talking about these things and, you know, making sure that we had, you know, this good end of life. And the reason why it triggers anxiety in you and probably a lot of people listening right now is because we've not normalized it, because it is not a part of conversation. And most often, especially in America, people are not having a good death because they don't think about it. They don't talk about it. They don't discuss it. They don't normalize it. And so more or less, like it's actually a pretty big community. So there is a facility in Seattle now called Recompose. It's a completely organic um, composting facility for end of life. Inelda, one of the largest death doula associations. There are so many podcasts on this that talk about this normalization and and this kind of world because this is something that is a part of life that is not discussed in American culture. And this is where a lot, this is the thing. Just like I said, like in our journey, we, we meet these villains that we have to fight to reach that happiness and that joyfulness. When you do death work, it liberates you. It frees you from that anxiety. It frees you from these things that create this conscious pain for us every single day. Because we make so many decisions to fight that against it instead of embracing an inevitable that actually will bring us a lot more fulfillment. And so it's a big part of my work and it's actually a part of the certification as well is like moving through how we have, you know, really bastardized this thing that is actually quite beautiful. Well, why don't we talk a little bit more about your certification? I do have one. I do want to touch upon one more subject, and this actually might be part of your certification. I don't know because um, you've been a mentor for uh, wellness pros for a f- quite a few years now, and mm-hmm. um, a, a big concept that I want to talk about is this authenticity piece. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm wondering if you talk to your mentees or you have talked to your mentees, because that's a big question that I get asked. And I, I actually, I think when we take any concept or any word and we, 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 it, it, I don't know, it almost just becomes so cliche. Like I feel the same way about self-care, you know, it's like yeah. authenticity. I'm like, if you're striving so hard for authenticity, you're probably not being authentic. Like you just kind of <laughs> You just kind of show up as is. Like that to me is authenticity. But I, I would like you to he- speak more to what you, you know, what what authenticity means to you. Number one, and number two, if it if if it's somebody, you know, and you could talk about this from a business mindset or you know a new. Nutri- we definitely have a lot of practitioners and wellness pros that listen to the show, or even just showing up authentically in your life. What does that mean, and how do you help people achieve that? Yeah, so authenticity is, it has become quite a cliche because a lot of people think they're being authentic, but they're actually mirroring what a lot of other people are doing. So uh, authenticity is, is a radical movement and it is a radical movement of shedding the layers of the constructs of your, whatever your culture, your society is and getting to the root of who you actually are. There is this true voice inside of all of us but it really, it cultivates a lot of fear because people are like, well, it's going to set me apart from other people. I'm going to be seen differently. And, but the reality is, is once we start actually like listening to that true voice and start embodying it, other people are very addicted to it because they're like, oh my gosh, they see it as confidence, right? So like you look at me as a very confident person, but I'm just being my most authentic self. And so that's when we start to see energy display itself. Because you see a lot of, you know, people in the spiritual community, they talk a lot about vibration. They talk a lot about energy. And it's like, okay, well, I can't really quantify this thing I can't see. But you can see it. You know when someone is living in their truth because you feel excited by them. You feel warm in their presence. You feel seen by them. Even though they've said nothing to you. And so authenticity is a very kind of like layered discovery. And so I help my clients through this very specific methodology of really helping them to organically find their true voice. And at first, the first step is really trying to find out what their identity is. And there's a lot of tools you can use for that. So, you know, people have done the Enneagram. They've done Myers-Briggs. You know, they'll do 
human design or they'll do astrological, you know, chart mapping, that kind of stuff. And when you start to get, you know, not on the surface level, but when you get into the deeper layers of that, you start to recognize true facts about who you really are. And then you start to recognize how truly extraordinary you are. And then that becomes so exciting that you're not afraid anymore and you just want to be yourself. I wish you could see my face right now because that is such a phenomenal definition. And especially when you were talking about like the feeling that you get when you're in front of somebody or you're witnessing somebody being authentic, like I could, I could feel that like so deeply and I just love it. It's such a wonderful way to encapsulate it. And I, 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 I would love to hear how you bring this in to, to your, you know, you, so you have this new program and the way that ugh, I'm totally stub, stuttering over my words. Here's what I want to say. I was trying to figure out how to say this. I know that you're being authentically you because I've witnessed your offerings change. And I think this is just, I'm just saying this from one business owner to another, which is why I wasn't going to say this because it might not apply to everybody, but your business offerings change based on where you are because you keep showing up and checking in with yourself and saying, where am I at right now? And how does my work reflect where I'm at right now? You're not doing the same thing you were doing two years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. And I, I just really relate to that watching, watching that in you. I relate to it because same deal for me is like, I'm always creating new things based on where I'm at because I know no other way. Like I can't be doing what people expect to, expect me to do just because that's what people expect me to do. I have to keep showing up and say, this is the new phase of my life, even if it means flipping the script and changing things. I think yeah, that's what pandemic did for a lot of people. Like here's my five-year vision and I just threw that out the window <laughs> and now I'm going <laughs> this way. And so I just, I want us to kind of say hats off to, to you for, because I see that, I know it's not easy and I appreciate that you keep showing up in such an authentic way, serving your community in the way that feels most true to you. Because if you were trying to do what you thought you should be doing, the truth of the matter is you wouldn't be serving at the level that you are right now. And I just, I want to honor that. But let me circle back and say, um, I do want to hear more about this intuitive body coach program that you're, that you're offering. Um, tell us a lot about that because I think there are listeners that would be super interested in this. Well, first, I want to say thank you for seeing me. Like, that was very validating, honestly. Thank you so much. And that's the thing is, like, I really, for anyone who runs a business that's listening, like, don't ever be afraid to pivot because that's the thing is we do change so much. If I was still doing the business that I started, what, almost a decade ago, I would have been canceled full on. <laughs> <laughs> I was, like, in hardcore medical ketogenic weight loss. So I definitely would not, like, be the body liberal person that I am today. Um, because I think that's the thing is like, I'm always perpetually changing and growing and taking on these different forms and taking pieces, you know, with me so that I can show up better as myself, but then also that I can give these gifts to other people. And so I took a step away from wellness for a little bit, um, because I had some not nice people say some not nice things to me and it made me very sad for a while. Um, and so I got really deep into spiritual healing and did a lot of trauma work with women for a while. And now I'm kind of back integrating all of it. I'm integrating everything I've learned over the last decade of being in this industry and really just putting mental health, wellness and spirituality all into one program. And so we talk about so I'll just kind of go through some of the topics at least and then we can kind of go from there. But I talk about intuition, identity purpose, shadow work, death advocacy and awareness, neural rewiring, breath work, ethnobotany, biomechanics and grounding, neuroaromatherapy, trauma work, trauma disassociation, boundaries, like everything. Everything I've ever thought was needed in all three of those industries combined and giving it approach of us actually connecting to our bodies. What's ethnobotany? Oh, ethnobotany. Oh, so wonderful. Um, so this is a native and indigenous tradition of the communication with plants and the body and how we are just this symbiotic and beautiful organic relationship. Oh my gosh. So 
Good. Who would this be, you know, who's the ideal candidate for a program like this? Anyone in wellness, anyone in mental health, anyone in spirituality, and anyone who's looking for a career change because there is a lot of business and practical application building as well. Oh, that's that's super helpful. Um, one thing that we we were talking about before I started recording is this idea of shame, shaming people for their decisions. And I know that you take such a, I was going to say a full bodied approach, but I'm like, am I describing a wine? (laughs) But you take this, like this very holistic approach. And I would love to hear you elaborate a little bit more on that because I think people need to hear this. And I think it really um, at the time that this is record uh, that I aired this this interview, it's been a f- quite a few weeks since I released the intuitive fasting episode. But I that was essentially the underlying thesis of that entire of that entire uh, podcast, which is kind of like live and let live. Like if you're upset about somebody fasting, do the work to process that in your own body. If you're upset by somebody not fasting, do the work to process that in your own body. Stop trying to shame the people for making decisions just because you disagree with them, you know, as it specifically relates to food and nutrition. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, this is a thing is like I said, I, I came from I came from being this very fire and brimstone person who was like, oh, medical ketogenics are the only way to now being this total body liberation person. Autonomy is very important and we don't stress autonomy enough in the wellness industry. And I think it's very important for all of us to realize that there's no one right way to healing. Everyone has a, everyone has a different entry point. Everybody has a completely different background. Everyone is affected by different things. So we all can't be this very homogenized like thing and that that was something that started to become really toxic kind of in in a few different communities I don't want to like single anyone out but that happens like it's like oh if you if you aren't just this one way like you're different from me and I can't respect you and even in the program that I studied in it was very much like we came out these very fervent anti-vegan people and I and my husband would be like this is really toxic behavior you cannot operate like this and it took me some time to sit with that and recognize like, yeah, like what? And then I started taking some vegan clients because it was, you know, very spiritual and religious to them. And I respected them and we found other ways and they were able to heal. And I know some people listening might be like, no, you know, but that's the thing is like, I have seen healing in every possible modality. I've seen healing without food. I've seen healing without movement. I've seen healing, you know, with just food or just movement. And so that's the thing is like, yes, you can niche and you can be an expert in your thing and that is valid and helpful. But don't be waging war against people who are doing things differently. And then also, if you're in a community, so this is the thing, this is when people say that like diversifying voices is really important. It's important to diversify uh, voices when you are in wellness, mental health, and spirituality. You have to have different ways of being and believing or else you're going to get so intense with whatever it is that you believe in that it is going to block you from the full picture. Oh my God, that is so good and so important and everybody needs to hear that whether they are a practitioner they're in the wellness space or simply just a consumer of wellness information all of that is so valid and so true there i say this often there are more than one ways to skin a cat and it's like the grossest thing to say ever and i i don't know why i keep saying it but that there are multiple ways to achieve healing and I rarely see healing come out of shame in rigid boxes that you put yourself in and feeling shame for deviating from those boxes, right? That's really not the most cathartic thing that you can do. So the more you can open up your purview, in my estimation, the better. So Danielle, thank you so much for this conversation. I know that, um, you know, if, if listeners are vibing with this conversation and feel as though they have a lot more to learn from Danielle and PS, you do, and they're interested in this intuitive body coaching certification program, please 
tell us a little bit more about uh, when it starts and the process to go through to apply. And I know that you have a discount code for our listeners, which is very exciting. So tell us more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to yourwellnessacademy.io backslash intuitive body coach, and you can find all the information that you need there. There's no rigorous application process because if you feel ready and willing to tackle these topics and you want to bring them on, then you're probably the right person. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, open enrollment is going on right now. I will close the doors the first week of May because I will try and onboard everybody for the start date, which is May 10th of 2021. And everyone, if you enter in all caps, functional nutrition 10 with the K in there, you get 10% off the price. Okay. I'll make sure that we spell it out correctly in the show notes as well. So thank you, Danielle. I knew this was going to be a great conversation. I always learn so much from you and just, you make me think, which is, you know, if you can make me laugh or make me think, I'm a lifer. So (laughs) I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. I'm so grateful for you, Erin. I feel like I I can't wait for the day we get to embrace each other in person because you've really just become one of my favorite people. I'm really grateful for you. Oh my God, I feel the same way. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.